Welcome to Hello Universe, a podcast about spirituality in our everyday lives. We're your co-hosts, Kylie and Eva. Hello, hello. Kylie here with a solo intro to Hello Universe. Welcome back. How are you all? Um, I'm so thrilled to share today's guest with you. But before I do that, I want to give two quick plugs. One is to go sign up for my girl Eva's email list, if you have not done so already. Um, EvaLiao.com. She has such great emails, y'all. They're rich and they're nuanced and they're generous and they're beautiful and they're wise. Um, and I just, I love when her name pops up in my inbox and you will too. Uh, and coming up with me on TikTok, I recently started finally got on the tiktok bandwagon turns out it's a fucking blast everybody Uh, i just rants at the camera for 60 seconds about capitalism patriarchy spiritual bypass i'm having a very fun time holding uh so if you would like to listen to me rant about things come find me uh my handle is shadowwork underscore witch um okay on to today's guest Brie Overly is such a warm and generous and wise human being who I am lucky enough to call a friend. And in today's episode, she comes on the podcast specifically to talk about um, child rearing, being a parent, and the ways in which that is a spiritual journey. Um, Brie is a parent coach. She's a coach for parents of gifted and twice exceptional children. And so uh, which is born out of her own experience of motherhood. Um, and so she has just really multifaceted way of both her own experience in motherhood with her daughter, um, her space holding for her clients. Um, I'm looking at all the ways in which we can look at parenting differently. <laughs> uh, and all the ways it teaches us a million things um, and all the ways in which we know nothing at all. Um, and this was a really nourishing, uh, conversation for me personally, I'm sure you can imagine, uh, and I think you're going to love it. So enjoy. Bree, welcome to Hello Universe. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yay. Um, as you know, our first question is what's life teaching you right now? What's something that Light Up is maybe bringing to a crossroads for you or something that's coming up as a lesson? So I was thinking about this and, um, so I really feel like life is teaching me how to be quiet, um, and sort of literally, and yet, um, also speak my truth, which is interesting. Um, but I think when you're speaking your truth, you don't necessarily have to say a whole lot, like you say less and, but it's teaching me in a variety of ways. And I, I, in a way it's, it's also about holding space. It's like when you're holding space for people, whether it be my daughter or whether it's like a client or a dog, because <laughs> I have two crazy dogs, but, um, it, it's a lot of like, it, 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 there's a lot of realizing that you just, you just be, and you're, you're quiet and, you know, you allow and you, you allow and you observe 
and you listen deeply. And that's what I feel like is so much of what's been going on for actually months, but I'm mm-hmm. feeling it even more deeply lately. Yeah. Can I ask in, in what ways it's showing up in your life? Like, um, thematically, <laughs> um, oh my gosh, I feel like in a variety of ways, but one way was I had a, a client, um, last week and I think it was a couple, cause I work with couples a lot. And, um, I was starting to feel sort of anxious because I was like, they're talking and I'm, I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, I've got to like, try and like, think about how to respond to this. And, you know, and then at some point I noticed it and I just stopped and I listened to what they were saying. Cause I was able, I was aware enough to say, I just need to hold space. Mm. And it was so great. Like there was something about it that just, I was so happy to have that really direct tangible experience because it was a moment that I will remember. And so that if I ever feel that sort of anxiety of like, where I have to like respond in some way to help them that I know that I can just stop and listen (laughs) and hold space for them. Like, and it, it was very powerful for me. Yeah. I actually had a really similar experience today too. This, this, um, with a client just feeling, yeah, it's really interesting. I feel like it's oftentimes my ego that's really loud and insecure. And then I speak from, I can like speak from that place. And, um, and it is a practice though. Cause I feel like sometimes it can be really hard from that space. Cause yeah, you just kind of go, but but yeah, it is, I mean, just sort of piggybacking off of what you're saying, like it can be so profound when you have that experience of like, let me not know the answer. Let me just like be yeah. open and see what happens. And I think from that space, honestly, then somehow the perfect thing arises or wisdom comes. Cause I think it's just the most authentic, the more authentic you can be in that moment. I think the better everything works out. Yeah. And just remembering like from what I learned about coaching was just being client led. And so it's really about them. It's not about me. And, and so when I'm getting in that space of like, you know, like ego space, I guess, as Mm -hmm. as you're saying it, and it's like, if I can recognize it, then I real, and then I can switch into, no, this is about the client. I need to hold space. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the most precious things I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I love this so much. And I'm, I I feel like when it shows up, for one of the ways it shows up for me is when I feel like I need to fix something for a client. Like when my fix it hat goes on, I like, you know, it's, it's comes in some ways from a place of like love and responsibility or maybe misguided or confused love, but it's like, I feel responsible. I want to be helpful. I want to like be good and do the right thing. And I can actively, if I'm paying attention, it's like, I can feel that I'm squeezing myself into this like tight little corner. And then actively less of me is available for the client. Cause I'm thinking I have to like fix the fucking problem. And then I remember there's no problem. There's nothing to fix. It's just to your point, like literally the holding of space is the thing that creates mm-hmm. magic transformation, witnessing. Um, yeah, but yeah, it can be a real, it can be a real dance. And the other thing I will say is I find this comes, can come up louder when the thing, my client in any, in that given moment is like struggling with, if it hits 
extra close to home. Like if it's something that I am also <laughs> identified with, with or in that moment, personal, yeah. You know, like if it's like, if it's very present in my life, I'm like, oh yeah, let's fucking fix this one. This one's bad. Let's get out of here. <laughs> that is, so, sorry. I had to just yeah. interrupt because to me where this really is showing up because it shows up all the time. I'm so guilty of this is with, is in my partnership, is in my partnership with my partner, Adam. And, um, it drives like he knows this. He knows this. It drives him nuts. He's like, you know, you don't have to go into fix it mode. Um, and I share this because you know we're talking in the concept in like the framework of like coach or and and or you know coaching client. Um, but I think I'm I think I'm much more re- removed from my clients, and so I can do that holding space. But something that you're really identified with, like again, my like relationship that's something that I'm constantly worrying on and working on just like, especially as a Capricorn who just wants to go in and fix shit. So. Yeah. Oh my God. And then that's one reason why this is so powerful for me is because I am a fixer or have been historically. And it's one reason why actually I went into coaching because I was already doing the work in a way. Just, <laughs> yeah. And I, I was very that's aware a lot of, of our story. <laughs> I might as well get paid for this thing I'm doing all the time. <laughs> And I was aware of wanting skill, you know, so I, I got certified and like did the thing, but I also wanted to make it professional so that I had a boundary because mm. I wasn't really like good at the boundary and it was like in my relationships and it was, and so I knew that I, there was something that wasn't working for me in the way that I was showing up for the people that I cared about. And so Eva, when you're talking about your relationship with Adam, it's, it's parenting's just the same thing. It's mm-hmm. like, you want your child to not have any problems. You want them to be safe and secure and all the things. And, you know, <laughs> you want to fix everything mm-hmm. so that they, you know, just so they don't have to suffer basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's actually not healthy for her or me to try and jump in and save her from everything. Yeah. So the, the reason this is like such a pain in the ass is because I think the more you care, the more you want to jump in. Like that's, that's the paradox is that it does seem a little bit like a, like a joke, like a ha ha. Cause the people who you love the most, right. Is are the people in which this shows up, but it also begins the is the thing that's the least helpful. So there's just an irony about that. Like the more you love someone, I think the more you're going to, like you were saying, Kylie, like we're identified with it, then it's harder to just uh, give space, which I'm sure Brie, you have lots of experience with, which I would love to hear about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where you want me to start. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Okay. Yeah, that's that's where I because yeah, I'm not yeah. as familiar. And I will also just share that I have been looking forward to this for so long for entirely selfish reasons. So <laughs> I am sure that I've got a list of many questions. But let's yeah. start with just ex- introducing the space that you hold. That feels juicy. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I'm a parent coach primarily. Um, you know, I which comes from my experience as a parent, uh, like in terms of why I chose to do that coaching. Um, I'm also a life coach. Um, I was trained as a life coach and I'm applying those life coach skills to this realm of parenting. And I am really specifically a parent coach for parents who have 
um, gifted or twice exceptional kids. And if you want to go broader in terms of how you label it, um, you could say neurodiverse kids. And it came from my own experience raising a daughter who is considered twice exceptional, so gifted, and then has challenges that come with that, um, which we can get into. Um, and let's see. So yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I feel like I should stop there and pause because of course there's much to the story, but I feel like it'd be good to, to pause and see if you have specific questions about that. Yeah. I, I actually am, I'm interested. So I know that you didn't like, you didn't start the life coaching program to do this work, right? It kind of, I didn't know. And so I'm kind of actually just curious about the, you know, I've shared often, like, I was like, I'm getting out of business and sales stuff. I'm going to go be a healer and I'm never going to talk about money and sales again. Ha ha jokes on me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious about the, the thread of like doing your life coaching program and then ending up in whole, yeah, in the world professionally mm -hmm. that you inhabit personally. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so, you know, I have played around with being a counselor of some kind for a couple decades, at least since the early 2000s. So yeah, a couple decades, I guess. And, um, and that showed up in a, a few different ways. And I didn't pursue it. Like I basically thought about becoming a psychotherapist for a long time and doing like a master's degree in that realm. I ended up getting a master's degree in education, which was focused on adult education and training. And my, my thesis, which I just think this is kind of funny because, you know, in the end, it was all about the story. You know, it's all about the person. It's all about the narrative. It was a case study of one person, which is very legit. It was qualitative research, but it, it just, I, I laugh because I'm all about the story. Like it's all about like the human journey. And it was all about barriers to basically this person going to school. And um, so I was really interested in people and adults and trying to support adults in what they were trying to do for themselves. And um, I got out and then I worked in higher education, but all this time, you know, I'm, I'm really all about the person and all about what someone's trying to do. And so I focused it a lot on education and, and helping people find their way into educational programs. Um, but there's always this calling that was a little deeper. And I also had, I really believe I had to go through a lot of therapy to get to the point where I actually was ready to take on this work. I had to get to a point in my life where what I'd been trying to do to explore career and where I might go, like hit an end point, you know, where it was just like, I cannot do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I would say, you know, one of the things I did in my, um, the weekend, the first weekend of my coach program was I talked about how I was having a hard time getting up in the morning, you know, and 
I look back at that and I'm like, wow, like that really, I understand better now what was going on. I just didn't have a passion for life because I was mm-hmm. doing stuff mm-hmm. like I did, but I just was so blocked. Like I couldn't, I couldn't thrive in the life that I had. And, um, it wasn't a bad life. I mean, I was working in higher education. I was working in a department that had to do with public health, like, you know, so as far as like contributing to the world, I mean, I was doing something that wasn't just about like corporate or capitalism, not to say that it's not touched by that because it is, but, um, that's but another I podcast. Just, episode yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I just got to that point where, I was just like, there, I, there was a period where I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this work and I will, you know, do the, you know, heart caring, listening deeply for people outside of that. And it was like, no, that's not going to be okay. And so I finally got to a point where I understood and, you know, mind you that I'm parenting during this time. And my daughter was born in 2009. And, um, so I was going through this process. And, um, so in 2019, I finally made the decision that I had to actually really, uh, invest in myself, I guess. And, and not only financially, but I really, I needed to give myself space. I needed to, um, listen to me. Like I couldn't just be there for other people. Like I actually needed to be there for myself. And so I um, signed up for this program, which was almost a year long. And uh, I went away for a weekend, which was a really big deal. I went down to, it was a big deal for me because it was just difficult to leave my family for that length of time and dove in and my life hasn't been the same since. And it's just, it's shocking how quickly things can shift, you know, and and then I didn't quit my job until last year. And, but, you know, I was still training, practicing, parenting, doing all the things. Um, and it was during the pandemic. I mean, it was 2020 when I was doing this program. And luckily the program was the only in-person part was in the beginning before the COVID really hit and then COVID hit. And then I had all these amazing people to basically be with and hold space for, and they held space for me. The thing that one of the things I think is delicious about this is that, you know, I am, I imagine one of the, I don't want to project, but I imagine one of the things you help some of your clients with is this ability as a parent, especially with a parent of a child who, you know, potentially has high needs or, you know, whatnot, uh, <laughs> that, uh, what becomes possible if you put yourself first, right. The way you said, like, I just, I needed to listen to myself. And what I think is interesting is how frequently we have to live the shit that we then hold space for, right? Like I, one of the things I always say is like, I can, and sometimes it's like a little pep talk I give myself when I'm scared <laughs> about where I can feel that I'm being asked to go. It's like, I can only take my clients as far as I'm willing to go. So like, yeah. are we going in? Um, and that buoys me sometimes. Um, but I think, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just witnessing how you, without knowing you would end up doing parent coaching, we're walking such a big chapter of what it is to, I think, create balance as a mother, uh, which is really like, to me, it's like a really deep 
experience of self-care, you know, um, because, and I do really care about that for the clients that I have. I mean, it really all starts with, I don't know how to parent my child. Well, um, we're overwhelmed or exhausted because it's really intensive parenting. It's like an intense form of parenting that doesn't have a lot of parent books that apply. And even if they do apply, That's like why we need yours. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if they do apply, then it's like, it shifts and changes so quickly. It's, you know, it, it's really helpful to have someone to talk to about it. And so it starts with, you know, talking about the kids, but I'm always really mindful of the parents because if the parents aren't doing well, then they can't as easily show up for their kids mm. and they can't um, feel very good about themselves. I mean, if they're not taking care of themselves and I, one client in particular, it's like, in some ways that's all it's about is him Mm. and how he's caring for himself as he tries to be a single parent and work with, you know, a a situation that's really challenging with his co-parent. And, you know, it's like, okay, but what's going to make you feel good? Where's your mental health going to be buoyed? Because in the end, he can be there much more clearly for himself and his children. So it's, it's critical. It's a critical point. And I think it gets lost and, you know, it gets lost, I think because of our society and because of the needs of our kids. I mean, and, and just that drive as a parent to care for and make sure our kids are okay. I have a, I have a question for you. And Eva, you can also feel free to butt in if this starts to get too much. Yeah. Kylie's asking parenting tips. Well, no, I mean, this is all very <laughs> new to me. So like I'm, I'm learning here and I, and I do have questions, but yeah, but you, you shoot. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious. One of the things that I, um, you know, I've shared on the podcast that Desi's like a very high energy kid. And so there's ways in which, even though he's five and we don't have any like formal labels, uh, there's some labels that could be easily applied if you were looking for them. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot about like access to resources and support and, and help and the way in which I guess I'm curious to know, like kind of the state at which people come to you, because I suspect that we have so much pressure to like, get it right as a parent that we don't perhaps reach for help and resources as readily as we might about some other issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I'm curious to know, I think my question is two part is like, is that theory true? Or did people kind of come when they, by the time they come to you where they kind of like, Oh my God, everything's on fire. Um, and if so, uh, or even if not, so I guess what, what is the advice that you would give to the parents, um, in the trenches, who are not like where it doesn't feel like everything's on fire, but maybe it feels tricky or complicated. Yeah. Or are you kind of asking like, when do you suggest people? When's a good time for people? If you don't want to wait until things are on fire, like when would you reach out for support? Is no, that- sorry. My question is basically: Is it true that people wait till crisis mode to actually oh. reach out? And then my other question is like, what is your advice to people pre-crisis mode? Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? It. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean. I think that it's not uncommon to hit crisis. I think it's complicated. So I I really do think that there is a crisis point, but I also, so like for me, that's what happened. (laughs) Um, We, 
but I'm actually grateful for the crisis. So it's kind of weird because of course it's, you are. It's that's how it always. That, that is, there you go. That, yeah, I feel like this is very human, and this isn't yeah. like a bad thing, by the way. I think you can no, apply this across not. the board to. It's like going to therapy. Like people don't go to therapy, or people don't change until shit hits rock bottom. Like yeah. that's just the textbook situation here. Yeah. I think what happens is that people reach this point where they don't they feel like they don't have what they need to move forward. Mm. So, um, so for example, I had one client who, um, had been homeschooling her child for a long time and doing an excellent job and having a really good experience with it, but seeing her child struggle in certain ways. And he had gotten to be a teenager and she was like, I want to remove every barrier I can for my child so that he can thrive, be happy, do the things he really wants to do. I wouldn't say that she was in crisis, but I Mm -hmm. would say that she was at a point where she was beginning to question and feel less confident about her ability to parent through this period. And so so I guess I would say that there's that nuance mm. for me. Mm. It was a crisis. My daughter hit this wall of anxiety and, and fear. And we, we, we had to get her in to help, to see somebody like we needed help. Cause there was no way that we could pull her out. Um, and so, and so, and then there's people who are just feel so alone and they don't feel like they have anyone around them that they can talk to about what's going on. Um, and so they feel like they're the only ones. And, and so it helps just to be able to talk to somebody who has the experience. It's, I think one of the things that I feel good about as being a coach is having these skills as a coach, but also having the experience mm-hmm. as a parent who has a child who is very complex and intense. And, um, I don't have more than one, which I thought about that a lot because that experience of having two or more, um, is not mine, but I also realized that I've had, I have my own intense experience and I have the energy to be able to hold space for others because Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have other kids. And so I feel like that's okay. Like it's good. Mm And, you know, and I'm not, supposed to just come in with my experience and say, see, you can make it work. Like it's not about me in that way. So it's more about drawing on my experience as best as I can drawing on the skills that I have as a coach and then holding space for them and then taking in what they're telling me and helping them to make sense and Mm. make sense of have some confidence, problem solve, um, help them see their child in a deeper way, things like that. Okay. Here's my next question. And then I promise I'll let you ask one, Eva. <laughs> I mean, please, please ask. Um, you, when we were chatting about you coming on the show, you had said something really beautiful about the way in which the nuance and complexity of parenting, like is such a rich spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And Oh, I just got teared up. Like that is 8,000 trillion percent my experience. Um, and I'm kind of just curious if you could speak to that from your vantage point, either your own experience or an experience that you like witness in other people, mm-hmm. how, how the kind of journey of expansion on a spiritual level is, can be kind of deeply connected to parenting. 
Yeah. Can I insert and Kylie, you know, Kylie and I do this, we'll we'll sort of just like double team and add in a bunch of questions at once. But I think, I think (laughs) before we even get there, what I think my question is just so I can better understand your own experience is if you would be open to sharing some of your own experience of what it's been like, um, Mm. because I think I want to better understand. So but Kylie, so you, so for folks who are listening, Kylie and Brie have worked together. So I feel like Kylie, you have better understanding of her work and, and like her background. So I'm just meeting you for the first time. Like, I want to yeah. know, like, I don't know anything about your experience. And I think that's really mm. where the juice is for me, because I'm sure being a parent is fucking hard just period. And then mm-hmm. adding in what you call, you know, people who have higher needs, like that's, and you know, you've, you've described this experience as intense. And I, I just kind of want to understand that mm-hmm. a little bit better. After research, yeah. I can also share. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So my daughter's 12. Um, and she, um, so I, <laughs> So it's sort of like, where did it start for me? Right. Like, and you can say, okay, well, obviously parenting started when she was born and, um, but in terms of really beginning to see like, oh, we're in for it here. Like we're in for this journey that we just didn't know was going to happen. And that is going to require something of us that, um, like we're going to have to grow. Like I, I would not tell you that that's how I was thinking at the time. But in looking back, it's like, yeah, there got to be a point where it's like, who is this person? Like, who are we, we dealing with here and what does it mean? And all this. So, um, so kindergarten, you know, we, so we'd seen quick to frustration before in her, like from early on in like preschool, um, And we'd seen, you know, that she was advanced in reading and she was in a Montessori school, which was really lovely. And the, the teacher created materials for her for reading so she could keep advancing. And, um, and she used to sing a lot. And the teacher who, um, had her at the time when she was singing so much, she's like, yeah, they'll go down for nap and she'll just like sing. And she's like, it's kind of sweet because it just means she's so comfortable here. You know, it's like, that's such a lovely teacher to like, <laughs> even if it's keeping the other kids awake, she's just like, <laughs> she's so comfortable because she's singing. She still sings and she um, admits that she doesn't sing very in tune, but she loves singing and she's taking singing lessons, which I think is lovely I love that. and means a lot to me because when I was her age, I wanted singing lessons too, and I didn't get them. And so I was like determined. Like oh, I'm going to get her that. singing lessons because it's, it, it was almost like I could give it to her and myself at the same time, even if it was like her getting it. Yeah. Um, and not, and not so, me actually learning yeah. it. Yeah. I ahead. just have a lot of thoughts on singing, I singing yeah. and dancing. I don't know if we've talked about this before Kylie on the podcast. Anyway, I just feel like it's one of those things that's inherent to who you are. It's magic, it's medicine. And then we lose it when mm-hmm. we get older, mm-hmm. because same thing with dancing, like thankfully I, I can say, I don't have that as I don't think I, I've never had a fear of dancing. I know that a lot of people do. And I can, and I understand that because we're ashamed of our bodies. We're ashamed of how we sound. It's yeah. vulnerable. There's so much judgment around people who sing and dance, which I think is fucking bananas because it's so natural. Like you yeah. singing is a natural quality that just comes with it's an expressionist the, being yeah. alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so 
Yeah. I'm just so happy that you're getting a chance that, yeah, to give that to not just your daughter, but to yourself. And I hope that like never dies. Yeah. I hope so too. I mean, we work really hard to just let her like belt it out and not worry about it. Even if it's like kind of hard sometimes, cause we're just like, uh, quiet, please. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's her, she's expressing herself and it's, it's a form of joy, I think yeah. for her. And Actually, so you're sorry, just to answer, you're just, it, this memory is just coming like to me all of a sudden. I haven't thought about this in years, but I used to also belt out singing. Mm. And I remember one time singing in the subway stage, like we would like, I think this was junior <laughs> high school or I thought it was normal to do that because singing was really normal in my house. My mom was a trained mm-hmm. opera singer oh, and cool. I wasn't, yeah. I didn't know I was supposed to be embarrassed. And then one of my friends was like, kind of like gave me the side eye. Cause I think she was embarrassed. <laughs> and it, you know, it's just like those little moments where again, totally unintentional on her part, but it's those little unintentional moments where she was kind of like, and then I think she said something about how like, you like to sing a lot, but you know, with a little bit of like judgment mm-hmm. that you just, and then I got really embarrassed. And I think from there, like that day, I like stopped doing that. And it just mm-hmm. breaks my fucking heart because yeah. Yeah. It's like an innocence that's lost. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that I was loving from your story is that it's the space of her not being very good at like right the way in which um (laughs) uh, the like permission to be like yeah fucking sing and also maybe you're not the best singer and the like like the the combination of that because I was a a terrible singer and actually a very funny story that I won't tell the whole story but the long and short of it is I tried out for chorus when I was in middle school and didn't make it in but didn't understand that I hadn't made it in and so like just kept showing up until he just gave up That is a good story. Oh and like literally God. I was 20 when I looked back in time and figured out what had happened. Oh my oh God. Oh my God, guys, I love that. That's it's got Kylie all over it. I've ever that, done. That yeah. story's got Kylie all over it. Yeah, it's a very, awesome. it's a very, it's a very, uh, very Kylie story. So, um, but I always had this huge complex about like not being able to sing. And like, it was a thing that people made fun of me about. And like, my mom also can't sing. So it was anyways. <laughs> Uh, but I like always had this complex and it was like, I wanted to sing, but I couldn't. And, uh, and so I didn't really give myself permission to it in part. Cause I was frustrated. Cause I don't like think doing things that I'm not good at. And, uh, when dad, I was pregnant with Desi, I would just sing to him all the time. Now he's like obsessed with music. So I'm pretty sure he was like, mom, you got to figure this out. Cause like, we're going to, we're going to be, we're going to be a musical family. Um, and I, and, and anyways, now it's the thing that I really love doing and also I'm not good at. And I have found so much space and joy in the space of like, I am so thoroughly adequate at singing and, <laughs> uh, and I love that. And so I love your daughter having singing lessons. And I also love the space of like, I get to love this thing regardless of how, like how good or bad I am. That just feels mm-hmm. like really fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and I mean, she's so in the moment too, because it's sort of like, if you were to ask her, like, what do you want to do with singing? She's just be like, I just want to take lessons and sing. Like, I mean, seriously, it's not like she's got some big goal of being a rock singer or, and it's not like she doesn't imagine these things, but at the same time, that's not what she's aiming for. She just wants the opportunity to do it and to maybe get a little better. Like, she's like, I just want to, you know, I think she said she wanted to expand her range or something. Mm. And, um, so anyway, I love it. Cause it's just simple. It's not like some complex thing, which I can create 
for her. And I did for a long time. I had these ideas of like, oh, she's going to play piano. And then she, mm-hmm. I don't know. I had her in piano lessons when she was like four or five. And I'm not at all like somebody who pushes somebody. <laughs> and I didn't force her to, to play, like to um, practice. Um, but it was so clear at certain point, like she just could not stay focused on it. And it was just like, what the hell? Like at some point I just realized that I had this thing about making it into something more instead of like just letting it be something that she was enjoying. And anyway, so uh, that's kind of, but that's hard as a parent. That's the whole thing that we were kind of talking about. The more you care, it's, it's like Kylie was saying, it's not misguided, maybe, you know, it's, it's just the conundrum of like, that's because you love her. And also because we identify with this person that like, this is my daughter. There's some, there's something there also about how that it so becomes so personal to us. It's also like, no one fucking knows what they're doing when they're parenting. I remember when, like, when, when our oldest was like, I mean, a couple, like probably like six months old. I remember Nick and I having this long conversation that was like, just acknowledging how deeply like you do not fucking know what there is no such thing as preparation you just like are in it and then you're figuring it out and it it for me gave me a a tremendous amount of compassion for my own parents that was like oh you didn't fucking know what you were doing no wonder you made some mistakes no and then when you have an only child you're just like i have no one to compare her to Mm. because you know and so so the people it's okay because when you get more than one you just play a game with yourself that's like oh i'm doing better at these things but i i didn't do these things for the other one and so it doesn't (laughs) matter it's just a different 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 setting same uh judgment but i think um I think so you try things right you're like oh my kids into music let's do piano lessons and you can't know that it's like not the right not the ideal thing until you're in it for a little while and then you're like okay jk you hate this (laughs) and you know what was so great about that period and this was young of course i had this little like tricycle that you could push from the back and literally we'd walk from our house to the place that she had our lessons and that was the fun part Oh, I love that. Seriously, like, that and she yeah. loved that. I loved that. That was like, it was like the journey to get there. It wasn't actually doing oh, That is that a great that. fucking metaphor. Yeah, totally. Uh, All right. Yeah. So we totally sidetracked you, which we That's will okay. continue Very to do throughout brand, this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> It'll pop in five more times, but sorry. So you were saying. Um, yeah. So yeah. these mm-hmm. are some of the signs that we saw of just like her intensity, I guess. And um. And once, so once she finished preschool, she went to pre-K at a, a school and, and that was a pretty good experience. But again, you know, there were some of those like quick to frustration things. Um, but when she hit kindergarten, it was just like the academic world took hold in a sense, which sounds really weird when you say kindergarten, but at least where she was. And I think in general, it's like when you start being introduced to things like letters and even spelling to some degree. And, um, and then we really started to see some other things, but we didn't know what we were looking at. Like she was wiggly and she had a hard time like following directions and not because she didn't know how, but more because she was resistant to. And so, you know, so that was just like another experience that we're like, okay. And then the emotional regulation stuff where she would get, um, I don't know, dysregulated, I guess, if just to put it generally. 
she's uh, so that quick to frustration, quick to anger, that kind of thing. It wasn't until like first grade, she started to get scowly, like all the time. Like they called it at the school, like the face, you know, it was like, she would just be sort of glary. And the counselor at the time was like, well, she's getting something from it. Like, and, it, and really I thought about that. I'm like, I don't quite know what she was getting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really think that getting something from it, like meaning the face. Yeah. Like doing the scowly face, like there was some, there was a reason she was doing it. Mm -hmm. That was the idea. It's like a kid just doesn't, doesn't just do something. And that's something that I really hold as a truth is that behavior is a sign of either a skill that's, that's slacking, like, uh, you know, a skill that's not quite there yet. Um, or just a need that is not being met. Um, and so I really feel like we, it's a symptom, essentially mm-hmm. behaviors are a symptom mm-hmm. and that we have to get beyond the symptom and get below that and make a connection with that child in order to have a better sense of what to do for them. So the behavior can shift. Um, but anyway, so, so we were seeing the scowly face and, you know, in the end, um, these uh, were just I things. Just- yeah. Can I just go back to what you just said? Because yeah. uh, I, I just received that with my whole body. Like I completely agree with everything you just said. And also it felt like someone just handed me a tall glass of water, right? This mm. like, just this, uh, it is a thing that I, I mean, I might, I, yeah, just this reminder, which I just think is so beautiful and important that like our kids behavior, and I would argue our own behavior as humans, right? Like whatever age, like there is either like some skill that is lacking that's causing the frustration or just like some fucking need that we have that needs to be addressed. Um, and how quick we are to make wrong the thing that is actually like a, a bid for help. Yeah. yeah. Without even looking at it. That's the problem. It's like, we just dismiss it instantaneously. Yeah. Like it's a problem. Yeah. And yeah. we react quickly. Like, you know, parents react quickly. Teachers maybe and maybe not quite so quickly just because they've got so much training with so many kids. But, um, and I think that one of the biggest things that has been a practice for me is pausing Mm. is like not speaking right away. Um, in a sense, holding space, you know, Mm -hmm. mirroring, like you sound really upset. That was something that a therapist, my therapist said to me at one point, and it really took me a while to understand what that meant, you know, in terms of just reflecting back, like you sound really sad and like, it didn't feel real for a while, you know, in terms of like, I don't know if you know what I mean, but it felt kind of two-dimensional versus three-dimensional in terms of offering that to my child, like reflecting back what I'm seeing in her, um, in a, in a, you know, kind of neutral way, being able to you, say, I see that you're really sad right now. And, you know, what can I do for you kind of thing? Yeah. What were you going to say, Kylie? Well, just, do you feel like it was maybe because you were still, you were in transition from fix it mode of parenting to the space holding? Cause yeah, mm-hmm. I can see how like our fix itself is like, this is not a solution to the problem. You're just mm-hmm. stating that there's a problem. Yeah. This isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. Like I pick her up from school and, and I'd be asking her all kinds of questions. She'd get upset. Um, she, she was just exhausted. I mean, she was exhausted from her day. Um, she would get 
you know, or she'd share something and then I'd be like, oh, well, you know, she was just being blah, blah, blah. Like, let's say a kid like did something that upset her. Like I'd try and make some reason why the kid did that. Or like you try and point out, it's like the perfect, like, um, it's the anecdote to like monster school in terms of the idea of trying to make things good, you know, or trying mm-hmm. to kind of cover up the thing that's real, which yeah. is that my daughter's upset about something that happened at school. And yeah. really she just needs to be heard. She yeah. needs that feeling to be known she and she's needs... allowed to be upset. Yeah. <sighs> Versus me, like trying to lecture in a way that to make it better for her, yeah. like, and that that's so big for me. And it, I mean, kind of makes me emotional too, because, you know, I kind of feel like if only I could have done it sooner, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I didn't. And now I can help others do it sooner. So let me tell like- you, Bree, some people spend their whole lives not figuring <laughs> this the fuck out. So I think you're good. I think you're good. Yeah. And yeah. it's so much better for me and for her, you know, um, because a lot of times when you, when you aren't able to hold space for your child, like by just letting them feel the way they're feeling, reflecting back to them, like, yeah, it was a really hard day, wasn't it? Mm. Or not asking a million questions, which is still hard for me, but you know, I'm, I'm better at it. Um, that it's, I don't know what I was going to say. It's just so much better because, um, it's a very loving act. I mean, it's a very loving act. And, and I know I have compassion for myself because I know for me, it was a lot of anxiety there, you know, anxiety of things not being okay for, for Charlie, that's her name. And, you know, I'm I'm wanting to make it better for her. Like it's a totally normal reaction. And I admit I have anxiety challenges and, um, I've had to face those because of the relationship with my child and Mm -hmm. trying to help her. It's like, I have to help myself. I mean, honestly, with these things, because that way I can better show up for her, hold that space for her when she's really had a hard day and not make it worse. Cause in the end, like in a way I was making it worse. And I think this is the point I was trying to get to is that, um, our kids are more likely to shut down on us. Mm-hmm. And, and so this flow of communication, um, gets shorted out because they're overwhelmed by us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Perfect example of going back to what you're saying about taking care of your own shit so that we don't project it onto basically that's yeah. what's happening. Like, you know, the fix yeah. it thing. The only reason that ever happens is because we're like, have some fear-based thing. And so, mm-hmm. um, we are projecting that shit and anxiety onto people when we don't, you know tend to it within ourselves. Yeah. I think also you said, you know, your own anxiety also made me think about how one of the biggest surprises about parenting, which makes perfect sense in retrospect is how much parenting would just be you wading through the shit you hadn't dealt with yet. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that that so many times. I just, I remember once I figured that out, I was like, oh, that's what this game is. Okay. (laughs) And yet you have to keep in mind, your child is not you. Oh, a thousand percent. And you are not your mom, you know, or your dad or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. I think like what I, yes, that's super true. And I think really important. I think it's more like, uh, like, for example, so Desi's very high energy. He's very like big energy, right? He like will, uh, will stand very close to you and climb on top of you. And it's like, he's just like, 
I sometimes I feel bad because he and Bernie will be making the exact same noise. And I want to like, like it's like so intense and climbs into my skin the way Desi's making the noise. And to, in Desi's mind, he and Bernie are doing the same thing, right? But she just has a different energy. So it doesn't have the same like shake the house vibe. <laughs> So sometimes, I mean, I try to be really mindful of it, you know, that, that anyway, so that's the whole thing about having two kids, right? It creates a different dynamic and set of uh, worries. But, um, but like, I also recognize that the reason that Desi's like big energy, like, uh, like basically when he's out of body and being really like big and intense, uh, it's because it, it bothers me because I am also like, it's also setting off my nervous system, right? Basically like his ADD yeah. is triggering my ADD and the, <laughs> mm-hmm. the issue is not actually necessarily him is actually that what is, what he is doing is cre- like, is, is what's happening in my own body is the issue. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like the more I tend to my own nervous system, the more I can hold space for him to do whatever he needs to do. And then we don't make it worse with each other. Yeah. And that's absolutely the self-care aspect. And, you know, I mean, self-care is one of those things where we think of it, a lot of people think of it in a very surface level, but it's a deep thing, you know, and I really feel like, you know, I'm still working on it and we always have to work on it. Cause I mean, even when my child's out of the house, I'll have to work on it. We have to take care of ourselves as humans in order to show up well for ourselves and others. And, um, I think, especially with young kids, it's like critical. You know, the other thing I wanted to say to the part of your story about like, oh, like I figured it out, but sometimes I w- wish I'd figured it out sooner. I will yeah. just say like, my parents really modeled for me like huge transformation, like personal, both of them, like really yeah. made certain choices about how they wanted to live their life and uh, modeled for me, like you get to make these choices. You get to like, change for the better. You are not powerless to your own circumstances and you're not powerless to your own kind of like bad habits. Um, and, uh, my husband's, uh, my husband's father very similarly. And my husband and I both really feel to our bones that that is such a gift because I feel so confident in my, that I have access to transformation because I watched my parents do it. In a way that I think is really different than if my parents had just been like, yep, we were perfect from the get-go, right? And so I think uh, you have given Charlie an incredible gift by modeling for her. Like, remember when it was really fucking hard? And then we like rallied as a team and figured it out and look what we've created. Um, She'll have that forever. And Mm -hmm. she'll always know when things are hard, I can rally and I can call in my team and I can create a better circumstance for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, and to that, to that, I I was just reading through something the other day that I discovered it was some worksheet that she did for school. And one of the things was, where is your favorite place? And she said home. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, it's like her place where she feels comfortable. And I'm like, that says something about what we create for her at home, you know? So I'm glad about that because I don't, you know, I I still, I mean, she has to tell me to stop apologizing sometimes. Like, you know, I mean, she doesn't have to, but she does, you know? And so there's still things I'm working on, you know, I'm trying to 
stop apologizing or stop asking all the questions. And I'm grateful that she's 12 because she just can communicate better. I mean, it gets better just because our kids can communicate, you know, and think, you know, a little more complexly, but, um, anyway, so. so, Oh, sorry. Go go ahead. ahead. No, 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 no. no. I was going to just continue a little bit on the story because we haven't even hit the crisis point. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So why don't we kind of like condense the story? Let's jump to that part. And then also what I want to know following, because I think what I'm more curious about is actually like, what was your experience in all of this? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I want to hear about, yeah, Bree's experience, but so, so yeah, I'll hand the mic. Well, so it was, so it was 2017, like beginning uh, end of summer, a few days before school. Um, she and my husband went to a display and costume store. And because of the time of year, they had Halloween stuff. And she saw this um, shifting picture that was kind of like a boy. And then it turns into this monster zombie thing. And somehow that just like burrowed into her head and she was terrified of zombies. And, and I feel like people hear that and they're just like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Or it's like, of course, zombies are scary, but I, I can't express to you. It was really, she was diagnosed with OCD at the time. And it was like, a um, it's, it's the, what's the word? It's like, you just think about things over and over and over Mm. again. And so it wasn't the type where you go wash your hands all the time, but it was just the reoccurring thoughts that she couldn't stop. And there's, and it's just an anxious place. And, and, and really like, I look at it now as this truly existential manifestation of a fear of death and loss because she's extremely sentimental, extremely emotional, extremely empathetic. Um, and these are some of the intense qualities of a lot of gifted kids. So kids who just, they're just outliers essentially in the way that they experience the world. And, um, and she's been on this journey of exploring the dark side of life and humans since then. I mean, honestly, and, um, it's one thing that I love about the monster school is because it helps me put that in context too. And it's so interesting, Kylie, because you talk about it with adults, but in my brain, I'm like, okay, how can we like make this work for kids and, and adults to relate to kids in a way where like, there's all this like emotional dysregulation and how do you hold space for that? Like, Cause it's hard. And, um, and then it's hard for those kids to experience this deep level of despair or fear. Um, so when she hit that place, we, uh, we had already thought about getting her counseling cause she was scowling at us all the time. Like literally she'd wake up in the morning and just be mad. Like it was just, mm-hmm. she, and it was because her system was so dysregulated, like her nervous system just wasn't recovering with a night's sleep. Mm. And so she'd wake up dysregulated essentially. And then this experience happened. It was right before school. I think school is an extreme, it's still a stressful experience for her. And, um, and it was second grade and things get more complicated at that time. Just socially you get more complicated. School continues to get a little more intense. You're like, they, she didn't have homework, but, um, but she was having to do more complicated things at school. And so um, long story short, um, she in that year was treated for anxiety. 
Um, by the end of that school year, she was diagnosed with a learning disability, which is dysgraphia, which basically means it's just very difficult to take what's in your brain into your hand and arm and like write. So like handwriting is just really difficult. And with a brain like hers, who's holding these epic stories, mm. like on top of it, it's just a lot to filter through when, you know, and it's not physical for her. Sometimes it can be a physical thing. Um, but for her, it's much more of a brain hand connection. Um, and then the beginning of the following year, she was diagnosed with ADHD. So she um, also started getting treated for that. So she's been treated for ADHD and anxiety. Um, and then the dysgraphia, we've had to work on um, certain you know, skills like typing. It's easier to type and giving her some accommodations at school. Mm-hmm. So but it's been a journey. It's still a journey. We still work on a lot of these things. And I, you know, I, there's a lot of allies along the way. We did not do it alone. My experience is basically like, I mean, I pulled way back in terms of like what I was trying to do is trying to get together with friends and their kids and go to the zoo and do all the things. And Charlie in that stage, when she was really anxious, just like, all she wanted to do was be home and she didn't want me to be splitting time between a friend and, and her. And so I really didn't do as much like socially during that time. Um, I found, I, I searched for podcasts. And so I was just trying to find like the people that, that might have something to say and give me some insight into what was happening with her. And um, I found I found a great resource. It's called Tilt Parenting and I recommend it to everybody because it's amazing. And it's, it's for any child who is just, um, can you see that name again? Tilt Parenting. Oh, Tilt Parenting. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, she just talks, uh, she really speaks to people of what she calls differently wired kids. And so Mm -hmm. it's really about neurodiversity and it's, it's not necessarily about giftedness. It's not necessarily, um, any one thing. It's just about being on this intense parenting journey. That's unique to the majority of Mm -hmm, people. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of what I've experienced that I think really gets into the spiritual realm is having to go a lot more deeply into what my needs were and what her needs were and, and, um, and having to go a lot more narrow in the way that I, thought about things in terms of, it's not like, like I said, it's like, so I think the, the, the big thing is you are an individual, your co-parent is an individual, your child is an individual and really narrowing your focus to that. Mm -hmm. Like it's more about going hyper-local. I kind of like this, like I've been thinking about this lately, like being hyper-local with the way that you are living your life in terms of, okay, I'm paying attention to my child. I'm paying attention to my partner and I am trying to respond to them as they are, not as what somebody else says it should be, you know, Mm. not to say that there aren't great people out there who can help you understand Um, because I do feel like that's my role as a coach is to help people be able to say, or to, to be able to say to me, like, I don't know if this is a right way to approach what happened, you know, because sometimes you really do need some out 
outside like perspective. And I think that that's, what's good about books is it can kind of give you an idea of like, okay, well maybe I could take this little idea from this book. Or like, if you are doing coaching, you can take, you know, your very particular circumstances and run them by somebody, because I really feel like we are, everybody is in their own particular circumstances and to generalize it doesn't necessarily help people get through those crisis points or get through that unique journey. Yeah. It can be damaging really is, I mean, sometimes it's subjective. Sometimes it's really helpful and sometimes it's damaging and you have to have, I think it's a skillfulness to know when to apply what. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. The thing, one thing I'm thinking of as you were just sharing at the end is how like what I hear you saying is that it's this dual place of like being in deep self-trust and, and going deeper into self-trust and at the same time being willing to not know the answer and like witness your child and your co-parent for who they are and what their, you know, self-knowing is. And that feels like kind of part of the dance and the paradox is like, how can I, which to me is making me think of Eva's favorite word of sovereignty, right? Like how can I be sovereign yeah. and fall into myself while also witnessing and like honoring the sovereignty of these people who are in this space with me. Totally. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've actually found not surprisingly when we are sovereign, it's easier for us to allow other people to be sovereign. Like that's the whole game. Yeah. 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 And one thing I think I've learned really deeply in my process of being focused on my unique, unique unit is, um, and in trying to address my own humanity, I guess I would say, whether it be anxiety or, or, you know, I think that's my primary thing, but, um, I'm sure there's others, um, (laughs) but, um, it's being able to really see like where my husband like what his gifts are to mm-hmm. the family and, and also allowing him the space to do his thing, which is different than mine, you know? And I, I, one thing that's just amazing about coaching is I'm, I really, I mean, which I'm sure you both experience this as you learn from your clients because oh, yeah. like I see these parenting styles and now I understand better to, to be like, yeah, we need to honor both because actually our kids need different styles if they can get it. Like, even if you're a single parent, they have other people in their lives. So it's, it's not to say that you have to have two parents. It's not about that, but it's just about, there are different styles with which we can approach a child and, and how, and they learn from that. They learn different ways of being in the world from that. And Um, and there is a period where I just really wasn't able to let my husband have conflict with my child, like his child, like, you know, our child. And it's like, I, I I would always jump in, miss fix it, like trying to make things okay for everybody, just not being comfortable with conflict. Um, and, and it would upset my husband because he's just like, dude, you're interrupting. And then it would, uh, interrupt their relationship and what was happening for them. And, and then I was upset, you know, and I really like purposefully intentionally held myself back for a while. Like, 
okay, I'm just going to let them do their thing. And it was really hard. I mean, it was so hard, but it allowed me to just step back and, and breathe, first of all, and allowed them to have their process. And then, you know, and then Chris and I could talk later about what happened and, um, and also I could observe better. Like I could learn from their process. You know, I could admire how she responded to him and his approach. So there's, you know, I, I, I can't say it enough. Like don't yeah. underestimate the gifts that we each bring. Oh, I just resonate so much with what you just shared. Like, and this is something Nick and I have, have talked about. Like there was one time I was putting Desi to bed the other, a couple of weeks ago. And he just goes, I forget the context of why this came up. But he was like, yeah, well, dad just squeezes the lemon a little harder than you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I instantly knew what he meant. He Wait, meant what that does Nick he mean by that? I love that. He That's meant so that Nick is the stricter parent. <laughs> And he was like, yeah, well, dad just squeezes the lemon a little more than you. And I was like, and I was like, I go, what do you mean? What I said, what does that mean? Even though I knew, right. I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, it's just an expression. And I was (laughs) laughing so that's cool. And, but what what felt nice is because I've also had like moments where like, like Desi is one of his things is that he is just like the tenderest little creature. So he has this big, big energy. So he can be really exhausting and also is like so tender. And I, I feel for him. Cause I don't think that's just going to always be an easy combination in his journey. And, uh, you know, and so Nick and I will like snap at him because we're just like, like yesterday I was like, was it yesterday? Anyway, he was just like running around the house, like whipping things around, like being really intense. And I just kept being like, okay, you can either play that game outside or you have to be calm inside. Right. You can play like, that was just like, I'm like giving him choices and he just couldn't, he didn't want to be alone. He couldn't not play the game. And so eventually I just was like, oh my God. <laughs> right. And he's like all upset, but, and then I felt like an asshole But the, 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 the story that I wanted to share with the parenting though, is like about, about me and Nick was. I loved that moment because it was just true. Nick is the stricter parent than me. He's not a particularly strict parent. And I don't think I'm a particularly permissive parent by my own definitions, but like, he's definitely the stricter parent. And in that moment, the whole thing was just funny to me because he, Desi was just observing a fact. And I think me in the past would have wanted, would have like, felt like that was an indicator that like Nick and I weren't equally paid. Like I would have turned it into something that like I had to be doing more or Nick was too strict, but instead I just cracked up and was like, Desi, I have to go tell your dad that story right the second. And Nick was doing dishes and I went in. Like, so all three of us were just cracking up about Nick being the stricter parent. Cause we all know it's true. And it felt, it felt really beautiful. And I felt really grateful because there have been moments where I like even if I bit my tongue, I was judging and, you know, like, it's just, it's complicated. It's that, that part is complicated. And that, that felt like a really lovely, that felt like a really lovely moment. And then the other thing that it made me think of is something Nick and I have spoken to often, which is just like really recognizing that there are things we each like doing that the other person doesn't like, we think of it in terms of activities. Like I love doing art projects and Nick is like, it's such a, it's such a mess. It's totally, I, he does hates doing it. And he loves doing things like running the sprinkler. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so fucking bored about the sprinkler. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, and even those are things where I think like I would, I previously made wrong 
or like diminished his contribution, right? I would either diminish his contribution or make wrong that I didn't want to do the sprinkler or whatever. And I think what you're saying about like kind of this sovereignty of like everyone has their own special contribution is tricky and also it's really delicious. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my question about this though, Brie, is I have so many parallels of this stuff in my life that I think anyone who's ever been a caretaker for anyone can relate mm. to all of this stuff. So, yeah. so my question for you, I already, okay, let me think, let me think how I want to ask this. So, you know, you mentioned that you'd always want to step in when your, you know, when your partner was parenting your daughter and you'd want to step in and like be a fixer. And then eventually you realize that you just need to let go. Essentially that's the lesson here. It's like, we got to let go, right? Because <laughs> the control piece is just fucking up the flow. And I want to know when you let go, what did you learn from that? So you were talking Mm. about how, yeah. Can you, yeah. Just share with us. Like, is there a light at the end of the tunnel for those of us who (laughs) learn to let go? That's what I want to learn. Like what happened in that Asking for a friend. (laughs) Well, I have my own answer. No, no, I have my own answer, but I don't want to like, I don't want to, um, and I will share that afterwards, but this is a loaded question because I know what happens, (laughs) but I wanted to hear about what happened for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I understand this is an ongoing process, you know, letting go is you start every day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's a, there, I mean, you can learn, you learn that things turn out. Okay. Mm. Um, you learn to, it's like giving myself space at the same time, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and which allows me to like, it's, what's the word? It's sort of like giving yourself a little bit of peace. You know, it's like, you're choosing not to involve yourself in a drama that mm-hmm. you really don't have to be involved in. Yeah. Which some people don't want, like the irony is some people are, don't want to be involved. They're like, I'm already so tired, but then the opportunity comes and they involve themselves anyway. Like yes. that's like a weird codependency thing that I see a lot of this, like, mm-hmm. of like, oh, well anyway, sorry. No, it's okay. And I think there's an element of people pleasing there for me. Like I, I identify myself as a people pleaser, uh, practicing not being a people pleaser as much as I can because, um, I'm always, so for a long time, I was like always putting it on me to make things okay, like for everybody, (laughs) you know, and which meant like leaving myself behind, which meant getting involved when I shouldn't be involved, um, which meant not allowing people to grow in the way they need to grow because I was trying to help fix whatever was going on for them. Um, So, so I think there's a piece there of, yeah. And maybe it's a codependency. I mean, I think that that's, there's a lot of that there potentially. And it, it just, there's a freedom. There's an absolute freedom to be able to let it go and just be like, that's their thing. And it's not that I, I'm not part of this family or not a part of a conversation later. Um, but it's about them having their moment Mm -hmm. and it, it frees me up. Yeah. Can I I also add something to that too? Mm -hmm. Is I feel like when I was in moments of like judging the way Nick would parent, uh, I was also using that as armor so that I didn't have to look at my own shit. 
right? So it was like, (laughs) right? It was like, oh, you're doing all these things. And therefore it was a way of shoring up my own, my own, I don't know, just not taking ownership. Um, And then another thing that I think was like a big kind of like aha moment for me was like recognizing, like really just dropping in that like Nick and Desi have their own journey. And it's entirely their own. And like, you know, I happen to believe like they made this up before they came here, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the ways in which the, the ways in which they are the best of friends and the way in which they experience friction, like they, that's, that's theirs. And who am I to intrude on? Like, right. I can be there. I can be the friend, like the, the asset, the ally to both of them, but who am I to like run interference yeah, you need to like let them have their own experience. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it's it's there's something um unkind about taking that away from them, you know. Yeah. It's unintentional, yeah. I think, oftentimes. Yeah. But yeah, I think I I just so deeply relate to this in terms of um caring for my mother, who was like, you know, also ill or continues to be ill from a lot of my life. And so much of it is letting, and I am assuming this applies to kids. And I imagine like, if I have a kid, this is the thing I'll continue to practice until I, until I die. But this idea of like, you, you have to let them make mistakes and figure it out on their own, which is like really hard. But so that going back to what you're saying, Brie, like the letting go is so hard, but there's been many times where my mom, and I'm talking like, she would put herself sometimes like in danger. And I, and I had to like respect my own boundary. Like I couldn't constantly be there for her and take care of everything. And I had to be like, okay, well, if you're going to like get yourself into trouble, like I can't take care of you or save you all the time. Like you need to get into trouble in order to, to like, Mm -hmm. to, to learn your lesson. Um, but going back to what I was saying earlier, where I, you know, my question was loaded, actually what I've often times found is like, I let her do her own thing and she fucking figured it out. And Mm -hmm. like you were saying to your point, Brie, everything Mm -hmm. works out. And then I actually end up getting what I've wanted this entire time anyway, which was space and my own freedom and not feeling exhausted all the time. And, you know, I feel like, and I think I see this, yeah, like with caretaking, I see this with parents. It's like, I see a lot of parents talk about how they're exhausted, um, but it's also so hard for them to let go, but that's why they're exhausted. It's yeah. like, they can't stop. Um, well, I think that there is a point here too, where, And this is the struggle, I think. Um, And this is where it really gets into the human experience is that we are um, trying to raise a child. So like, they don't know everything. They, uh, I like to think, so I, I I read the book Journey of Souls. Do you know it? Mm -mm. It's like Michael Newton. Mm-hmm. And it talks about kind of that stage between, uh, like when you, like before you reincarnate. So it's basically this period where you're kind of doing your soul work before you make a decision to come back. And, and it's, he's a hypnotherapist and I don't know if he's still alive, but it was really powerful for just like a perspective taking and thinking about, okay, we, we enter this life, just like you said, like. Desi and his dad made a choice to come into this life together and they have a life to live together along with you and along with Bertie. And, you know, and, and so I really believe in that. Like, I believe my daughter is here to teach me just as much as I'm here to teach her. 
and likewise with my husband and her and and I believe that so deeply but I also know that she needs guidance in a way that that I don't necessarily need it in the same way like it's mm. different quality because of course I you know am an adult and so I do think that there's a bit of like this soul that comes into a body and is your child and they're kind of like getting a grip, like, okay, I I'm in this body, but I'm a soul. And like, <laughs> like they're just, they, they haven't really fully like grounded into being a human. And I think in order to really understand like this body that we're in, I think we need guidance. Like, and I think that as a parent, what that looks like is complicated because you're dealing with you and you're dealing with that child and you're kind of like, you're, you know, they're teaching you, but you're supposed to be there for them in a unique way as a parent. And, um, and so they need some kind of like boundary. They need like something to help them feel um, expansive and able to express. And yet they need to learn about some of the, the rules of being human. And some of that is like societal, but you, you know, of course you have to be careful with that because, you know, what are we here for, but to, you know, express ourselves in our unique way, which may go against what society believes, you know, but there is, there's these really thin lines and gray areas where it's just like, okay, how do you help them navigate? because we're also still navigating, but it is, I do believe that there's something to be said for offering guidance in a compassionate, loving way that allows for them to expand and grow in as full a way as possible. Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking about as you were saying all this is, um, like everything you're saying just feels like paradox, right? It's like, it's both at the same time, right? And how do you let go? It's by like setting these like beautiful boundaries for your kids, right? How do you give them, how do you let them feel safe? You let go. It's like this whole kind of nuanced dance. But yeah. one of the other things that I was thinking about is like specifically the relationship with being with between being decisive and letting go. So, um, in, in short, Jesse's five, he's going into kindergarten and I have had a tremendous anxiety about sending him to traditional kindergarten just because this combination of being super smart, can't sit still, like, you know, has these loud outbursts and being very, very tender. And like, to me, it just feels like this, like, like recipe for like quickly internalizing the story that you're not good at school. And, uh, not wanting that for him, right? And our town only has full day kindergarten. So there's kind of no transition. Um, anyway, so, and then, you know, plus, um, you know, the state of America and, um, you know, gun violence, it's just been like a really stressful thing for me for months, actually, probably arguably years. I like keep coming back to this, like this way in which traditional school and like just continues to feel like in the, like I've had anxiety about it. And, uh, 
very recently in part because of, you know, uh, the ongoing events in America, I just made a fucking decision, right? Like Nick and I have been talking a lot about all of these things. And I just sat down and was like, I can't, like, I can't send him to public, our, our, our local public, even though like our neighbors, our teachers there and they're incredible, right? Like anyways, but I just had this moment of like deciding and you know, uh, that's not usually how we parent. Usually we decide together, but it was too clear in my body for any alternative. And in that decisiveness, I could let go, right? All of the anxiety, all of the like hand wringing, all of the concern, all of the second guessing, like basically started to evaporate because I made a decision and, uh, you know, it could end up being the wrong decision. Like that's the, that's the risk that we're taking. It's like the piano lessons thing, right? Like we don't know until we're in it, but there feels like there's something about like, yeah, part of the dance is like claiming the space, holding the boundary. Like part of being the adult is like being decisive and then letting go so that if it turns into the piano lessons, you, st- you, you, you can create, you create, you, you decide on something new. Right. Yeah. Um, we get really hung up as parents on making the right decision. Like, mm-hmm. you know, throw out the window, all the perfectionists, cause they're going to do that anyway. But you know, and I'm, I'm kidding, but you know, it, parenting just brings with it this fear of making the wrong decision because it's your child, mm-hmm. you know, and some people are much more relaxed. Like Eva, weren't you talking about your friend who just like loves parenting and she's, yes, I was, I was just, I was just gonna, Oh, you look, first of all, thank you for listening to that episode. And also (laughs) I think about her immediately because again, I just met her yesterday and she's just fucking easy breezy. And actually it's really comforting to be around her because there's something, you know, again, Kylie and I talk about all the time when you're around an embodied someone who's embodied in whatever they're embodying, she's embodying just like, "Eh, it's all going to work out it's really nice yes. to be with that energy. Cause then you, yeah, I, I absorb some of that, but it is kind of really, I'm being totally honest, kind of weird to watch because <laughs> it's very foreign to me. <laughs> like she's, <laughs> it's, it's, she's foreign to me sometimes as someone who like doesn't know anything about anxiety or anything about depression. Who's just like seemingly, and I know her really well. So I can say like, it's, you know, seems like it's pretty, pretty even keeled there. Like you are really fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I mean, yeah. I wish, I wish that I could have some of that, yeah. but yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. But yeah. no, I mean, I guess I, and I say that in terms of the people like clients, um, certainly myself, um, yeah, I love that story, Kylie, cause it's just like, you just drop into your knowing and and school, I mean, that is a whole nother topic. Like that's huge. And it's one thing that, you know, in holding space for people, I'm not going to bring that in necessarily and be like, well, you might want to be thinking about this, that, and the other for school because it's going to come up. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, that's been a big journey that I've been on is about school. And I know that that's not exactly your point, but I'm, you know, it's, it's not, not my point. So we can go there if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just feel like it brings up these things. These are structures in our society, right? Mm -hmm. Like school is like a really deeply rooted structure in our society and just like capitalism on some level like it's and it's maybe they're related 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. School is just like the machine that is prepping people for the capitalistic yeah. loop. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And um, I highly recommend the book, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? Because Ooh. I just think it really is it's Blake Bowles. I, re- I listened to it as an audio book. And, um, I just think he's so smart and he just presents a really interesting perspective and it, and I, and I'm doing it because literally my husband and I have gone back and forth for years and years about, should we homeschool? Like, and then that of course brings up all kinds of stuff. Cause there's financial implications, all this stuff. Um, and it's not because my daughter's in a school that isn't serving her. It's to say she's in an environment that is probably not the best environment for the way she is made. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it, and it's really, it's really tough because there's all kinds of bias about um, alternative forms of schooling, whether it's like, and then homeschooling, well, what does that really mean? Well, there's a variety of different ways to look at it. Like, so it, and I think that that's sort of the crux of this whole parenting experience. And when you have a unique child who, you know, won't just easily, you know, slip into, oh my God, the word that came to me was the matrix. Like, but But that's it. Like in a sense, that's it. Like you go into these conventional schools and there's, they're made for like the, you know, general population. Mm -hmm. And so if, and even the general population can struggle with it. And then when you get these kids that are more intense and have more needs and think really differently, then I mean, you're faced with such difficult experiences, like feelings, you have all kinds of feelings and then you're faced with, well, what are the norms? And then, oh, if I go outside the norms and that's super uncomfortable and then like people are going to judge me and, you know, but people are already judging my child because she's experiencing school in such a way that she's acting out. Like it it brings in all kinds of things that speaking to sovereignty, like it really challenges that aspect of who we are to be able to say, Hey, what do I know about me? What do I know about my child? What do I know I can do to figure this out? And, but it really is challenging because it pushes you up against your comfort zone in a very potentially extreme way, depending on what your choices are. Yeah. You're like yeah. blowing my mind, actually. I have to say, because like I'm well, so I'm really understanding this in a different way. Like this reminds me of someone who goes from like I'm trying to think. It's like when you first experience spirituality or like have some sort of awakening, and you kind of see like, oh wait, all the systems are broken, and like this world that everyone takes as the norm is not doesn't fun- isn't actually functioning, and so you're you're just like doing a record skip in your brain, and then you're up against you have these sort of like, I don't know what you call like moments of just understanding that like, uh, I don't know, everyone's crazy kind of. And also like, uh, it really challenges you to have to like stick to your guns about things. Mm -hmm. Like basically I'm talking about systems, right? You're talking about, I've never really thought about school and the system of school. And that's, damn, that's tough. Like, that's just like capitalism. It's finally seeing, you know, having the veil lifted and seeing the matrix and seeing capitalism and seeing the patriarchy and colonialism for all the things. And school 
is, and then, yeah, but you're, what you're saying is like, okay, well, if I want to pick a different alternative or do things your way, it really requires you to drop deeper into your own self. It is another spiritual experience. And it comes with, it's part of capitalism, right? So like, you know, what are what is your alternative? You're going to homeschool. Okay. That costs, that means, you know, hours not worked, right. Or you're going to send your kid to private school. Private schools are expensive, right? So, mm-hmm. so even the, even the, uh, potential to opt out of kind of the system, uh, requires an incredible amount of privilege. Mm-hmm. In general, it does. Yeah. And there, but there are people who don't have a lot of resources that make these choices too. Um, but that's very true. Good point. It's, it's, but they make sacrifices yeah. and, and they may not feel like they're making sacrifices. Like they may be like, this is our choice this is and this is right. what we're doing. But you know, there's definitely people who therefore aren't going to make as much, you know, yeah. and, um, thrive in the way that someone who's, I don't know, got a yeah. million dollars in the bank is going right. to be fine, you know? So I, I think, yeah. And I mean, I know, um, the woman who created Tilt Parenting, Debbie Reber, like she, she went and homeschooled and I read a review of her book. I think her book is fantastic because it's, it's called Differently Wired and it's, it's so much for the parent. Like, I just love that. Like, it's not about like, here's how you parent your child. It's really about making tilts in the way we think about parenting and asking us really important questions and presenting really important concepts. And she has anyway, so, um, but she homeschooled her son for a number of years. And I remember seeing this review of the book and someone like, well, not everybody has the privilege to be able to do that. And absolutely, that is totally true. And that is where it gets super difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that is when you're talking to people about okay, well, what are my choices? Like I can't afford to homeschool and I need to get accommodations for my child. The school is limited in what they're willing to do. People move to go to totally different school systems so that they can have a decent school for their child. I have a neighbor who's doing that right (sighs) now. She's just moving five hours away. And and I also want to say like my best friend in the whole world is a special ed director, right? Like my mom was a teacher until she opened the yoga studio. Like educators are like my people. And so to me, it's this, it's like, it's about, uh, the system is built to create a certain kind of experience. And if you don't fit like, and I was someone who fit in, I slotted right in like school was actually like my safe haven when I was a kid, because at home things were chaotic, but I understood the rules of school. I'm, you know, pretty smart. So it was easy for me to like get the external validation. And like school was like, school was the place that I actually kind of sometimes longed to be. Um, But I, but I think it's, it's really linear and it's really limited. And, and, and it's, and it's independent of all the millions of fucking amazing teachers that are there creating their individual experiences, right? Absolutely. It's not at all about the teachers. It's, I mean, the poor teachers, like all that they're trying to do and all that they're limited in their ability. And I really feel like, I mean, my daughter goes to a private school, so I fully will admit, like we have certain resources and 
I don't think it's necessarily the right environment for her. And it's not about the school. Yeah. Absolutely. The school is fantastic. Yeah. But we can't put her in public school necessarily, or it's got to be a really unique scenario. And, and that's the thing you get into these places where it's like, where's the place for my kid Mm -hmm. and, and granted, you know, finding the perfect place. It's not about perfection because that doesn't exist. It doesn't (laughs) exist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, it's not about that. We're in a human experience. We're on the journey. And that's, I guess what I'm saying is that if it's not about like the ultimate place to live or the ultimate school to have or the ultimate whatever for your child it's like it's really about the journey getting there and and doing as much as you can to honor yourself and honor your child and your partner and I really feel like yeah trying to align as much as you can knowing that there is no perfect solution yeah I'm getting the image again of you and your daughter on the little tricycle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's, that's it. It's just us on our way to piano lesson. The whole <laughs> fucking time. No. Yeah. And you know, what's really funny is she doesn't remember that tricycle, mm. which drives me crazy because I <laughs> loved it. Like I literally, we went to the zoo. So she loves little kids. And we went to the zoo with um, my friend and she has a new baby and then she has like a five-year-old. And so my daughter was helping with a five-year-old and I was talking about this tricycle because I used to take it to the zoo. So we'd like push her around the zoo and it was like super fun and it had pedals so she could pedal, you know, and I could push. And, and I'm like, do you remember that? And she's like, no, I don't remember that. And I'm like, oh my God. Like to me, that was like amazing. And mm-hmm. so you know, it's just an interesting fact. It's there, that experience of traveling (laughs) together to the piano lessons and being at the zoo. It doesn't matter. She remembers. I mean, it's, it it still stands. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's layered in the fabric of Mm -hmm. safety and joy Mm -hmm. and play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could continue this conversation for a thousand hours, but I want to be mindful of time. Should we do a round of joy? Yeah. yeah. Bree, what's something bringing you joy right now? Um, I, my, um, at the risk of seeming, um, I don't know, too on brand. <laughs> um, I really, my daughter is bringing me a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I still get worried about her and stuff and, uh, you know, um, but she has, transmuted this whole like fear of this existential fear of death and everything in such a way that's like mind blowing to me. Like she has taken, I I don't know, she's just diving into these epic stories and she's, um, it, it create, she created her own underworld and like, she showed me this map and she had these different places. And so, I mean, she's processing and it's taken her years and she's still processing this like dark side that makes her concerned. And, um, and it's really awe inspiring. So, I mean, there's a lot of joy and seeing that if I can make her feel safe, then she is better able to process what's going on for her in the mm. world. I mean, I, and I mean, I'm not going to, 
I, I don't want to congratulate myself. Like somehow it's me. There's been so many people that have been part of her journey. Um, and amazing people. And that's why we need allies in this process. It's not just about you parenting your child. Like despite my hyper-local idea, it's like, anyway, we need all, all the people who really hold us up. And I, so it's really, it's, she brings me a lot of joy. Mm. Yeah. That sounds yeah. really cool actually. Yeah. 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 I think I'm, I might've shared this with you before, Brie, but I had my own, like I was, my, I had my own existential crisis about death when I was about the age of her zombie experience. And I never shared it with my parents, which I have great regret about because my mom, actually, this is something she's really, really good at. Um, and so if I had shared with her that I was going through this, I know she, like now I can see how she would have really held space tremendously. But for like months, I couldn't sleep at night because I was like, basically like, what happens when you die? Like, <laughs> yeah. And do you fall into the earth and just like rot? Can you feel the worms eating your body? Right. Um, which is funny because now there's like a 20% chance I'm going to kill you off in a meditation journey. So, you know, I've come full circle. <laughs> That's um, what I'd say, but isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, in some ways I actually, sometimes I even actually think of that moment and I'm like, was I actually processing, was my fear actually about my own innate power that I didn't understand yet? Because I feel like the space that I actually hold now is so much about like a willingness to die and like comfort, like comfort in the muck and the, and the monstrous, but that's like a, a theory. Anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is how fucking incredible it is that, because the way I dealt with it is that I just buried it and pushed it away and ignored it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Until my kids were born. And then I was obsessed with them dying. And then I had to like, finally, you know, work through it. Uh, but what an incredible testament to the space that you have made for her, that instead of it being something that she just pushed away and tucked in and like buried, now she's making an entire like world for herself to be the like empress of. Yeah. I mean, that's just really beautiful. I think that sounds very cool. And I'm sure you're probably learning a lot from that. It's from who doesn't have to like, who doesn't have to like shy away from that. And also, you know, people who, to me, like she's just paying attention. <laughs> she's paying attention to a lot of things that we tend to like not want to focus on because it, or because we're moving so fast that, you know, it's that like we're moving so fast that we can't pay attention to the things that are like actually pretty yeah. magnificent or important or totally bizarre terrifying. and out of this world. You're terrifying. Yeah. 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 I think there's something really cool about that. Mm. So Eva, can I say something really quickly? So one thing I know that you, and I, cause I've listened to the podcast is that you, you have been thinking about whether or not to have children. Uh And, and I, I really felt like that is an important thing to this conversation in a way, Mm. even though I know we don't have a lot of time. So it's not at all. I just want to acknowledge it because I think Mm. it's such a, valuable thing to be thinking about. But I also feel like if you never had your own children, you will contribute to other children. And like Mm -hmm. some of my most favorite people in the world don't have their own children, but Mm -hmm. they like are so incredible to me, my daughter and to other children. And that there, there's just a whole, like, it's not just about having your own kids. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know what you you know, what your process is, but I want to like honor those people who haven't had their own children 
for whatever reason, because I know there's multiple reasons and that their contribution is no less to the world. And in fact, in so many ways is so great that I just... I just want to say that honestly I, I just like feel so like important. so seen right now and I just feel so honored that you would even be so thoughtful to like create that space um that actually really means a lot to me more than you could probably know but there's something really thoughtful about you just also knowing that that's part of my journey and also uh yeah and for other people listening but I can speak for myself like um yeah, I think that's something that I've worked through actually on this podcast, this idea of like, oh, uh, I would put motherhood on a pedestal mm-hmm. and as if like that were somehow the more important job. And I think that's actually shifted a lot because of some of the conversations that I've been able to have here online and offline. But mm-hmm. but I think you're making a really important point. And it's funny because I think people have kind of said this to me um, in my own personal life that, yeah, I if I choose not to have kids, I fully intend, I think part of the beauty of that is I'll have access and, or I'll have the resource, I think, to be there for other people. And that, that would be like very intentional on my part, being there for like my, my nephews and my friends, kids, but also like for my parents, like that was a huge, big deal to me being like, old people are also forgotten, forgotten. And like, we just have this idea that you're supposed to age and then take care of children. But like, there's a lot of people out there who need care. So mm-hmm. that actually like really, I don't know. I don't know how that, that feeling of like, it doesn't matter. Like I have care to extend somewhere mm, regardless. Like was really. My, my uncle never had kids and he's one of the most important people in my life. Yeah. And he yeah. married a woman who had kids and I, I imagine he impacted them greatly. So. Yeah. Um, That's so I sweet just, of you. Yeah. Really so, Thank you. Yeah. Bri. So sweet. You want to share your joy, pal? Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, all of my joys are just connected to summer. There isn't a single thing that I like would run through my life right now that isn't a direct correlation of summer. And by the time this episode airs, it'll be probably maybe end of summer, beginning of fall. Um, so there might be some nostalgic to this, nostalgia to this, but, um, I, I guess my joy is, is flowers, but I don't say that lightly. Like I was walking around my neighborhood in Portland, like to go look at the flowers because it is fucking bananas. Mm. Like what is out there right now? Um, and this is all new to me because I've never, I don't know. It's actually, so I had to, I had talked to my friend about this yesterday. Apparently Portland is like the, the, the soil is really fertile because of all the diversity and also all the rain. So like I don't know anywhere else that has the existence of everything, like every, all the different foliage and flowers that exist. It's mind blowing to me. And I was going around looking at flowers and kind of having like a trippy, exalted experience that was just with these flowers of just like really paying attention and just overwhelmed by like the miracle of it all, because you were just, I was just, it was like being, like being in Portland right now in the summer in like my neighborhood is like being in like a like flowers are trippy like if you really pay attention to them and look at them you're like what the heck this is insane that this exists and this the symmetry and like god and nature created this and like when you're really paying attention i think it just like blows your mind so i was so but flowers just all of it hot summer nights hammocks 
a good cold beer, like picnics, just I'm loving, I'm loving summer right now. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, sorry, I will say, I think I realized the reason it feels so big for me is because summer was awful in Arizona. It was nice the rest of the year. So I've never <laughs> had this experience. I had, it's been a long time. Also Taiwan, it's really had been a long time since I've experienced like this feeling of summer where you're like winter is really long and then suddenly you're like oh I have summer again that's mm. it makes you appreciate summer even more I think yeah yeah welcome to uh, the northwest yes <laughs> <laughs> all right Kylie you're up mm, uh this is probably funny as our I, I don't remember the timing of our episodes, but I think our Kiali episode will have come just before this. Mm-hmm. So my joy is oh. food prep and cooking. <laughs> so if you listen to our recent episode with we, we had this beautiful woman come on and she talked about um, sensual cooking and um, thinking about food in a different ways. It was a really beautiful episode. And at that moment, I was really in this place. I mean, I've shared on the podcast, you know, linear time is different. So by the time you're listening to this, I'm sure I will be in a very different place, but I have been going through a difficult time, right? The collective experience of, um, you know, Roe v. Wade and gun violence as a mother has like really kind of shook me up. Um, Even to this point, I'm already starting to feel a lot better, but I was, I was really feeling, um, anyways, I just needed real like Comfort. I was like wrapping myself up in things for comfort. And one of the ways that I was experiencing that was just like a food was like, it felt so complicated. It felt like I didn't, I just have having this experience of like, I don't understand what I even want. So I guess I'll just eat cereal, which is a thing. That's like what I do when I'm in places of like, I don't know, I'm sad and I'm mm-hmm, <laughs> curled mm-hmm. up in my blanket. Um, and also, you know, to be clear, it was also a perfectly delicious and fine experience. It was it's like that life is paradox anyway. But I yesterday cooked myself this like delicious pasta dish that I love to make with like toasted chickpeas and vegetables. And it was so much fun to make. And it was exactly what my body wanted. And I like couldn't love the flavors more. And so I loved that whole process. And then it also to me was this really beautiful like indicator of to use seasonality of like having left winter and being in spring because I just wanted to cook for myself, right? It wasn't like this big efforting thing of like, oh, I, I should cook more food mm-hmm. or I should mm-hmm. eat something that's not cereal. Or it was just like, I left winter and now I'm excited to cook again and it's easy and it's effortless. And um, it was another reminder of my own medicine, which is like, no thing is required like drop into where you are and it will transform eventually into the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's what my experience with food lately is just like, even just like prepping really simple things feel easy um, when they weren't for a little while. And I feel really grateful for that. So. Oh, I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. I hope no. I drop into that space sometime. <laughs> well, the episode is coming out. Well, yeah. If you go back and listen to the episode, I, I actually found it really helpful too. So, so it's available. It's available there. Yeah. yeah. All to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brie, where can people find you? How can they, how can they? Well, so on my website, there's a few different places. My website is brieoverly.com and you can learn, you know, I write about my story there. It's a pretty basic website. Um, I also, I am a 
an associate coach for gifted together and it's giftedtogether.org. Um, it's a psychotherapy group that offers wraparound care for gifted and twice exceptional individuals and families. And I am a parent coach there. Um, and I also offer life coaching for people who identify as gifted or twice exceptional. Um, and so you can learn more about them as a group, but also there's info there. My bio is there too. Um, and then I am on Instagram, uh, but I use that as a place for joy and experiencing nature. And it's just, it's fine, the little in life. And um, I do drop in little bits about parenting, but um, it started as a place of joy for me and sharing of what made me feel good about the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what it continues to be. And um, so if you yeah. want to I love watching your nature. I'm like, yeah, it makes me happy. Yeah. I love seeing people's nature stuff on Instagram. So you're, yeah. it's working. There's some joy. I experience joy when I look at your stories. <laughs> oh, good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's like a little bit of parenting, um, lots of nature. Love it. Yay. I'm so happy. I think the work that you're doing is so important because I'm a big advocate of like caretakers, caretakers need caretakers. So like, I think this is one iteration of like, you're caring for the people who are also caring for others. Yeah. And it's really all connected. Like we all really need each other. And like you were saying, like you, you know, you've gotten so much support with your daughter and you get to offer that to other people too. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And thanks to all the people who have supported us. I'll just say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> they hear you. They've done it without you. Your ears are itching somewhere. <laughs> I hope so. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. This you was really wonderful. Me. Yeah. Thank you. This is awesome.